I want to begin the homily by reading to you, by, by pointing your attention to two pieces of literature. Two pieces of literature. The first piece of literature is a musical. The musical was not named, called Man of La Mancha. Some of you may have seen it. Um, I have seen it several times. Um, Man of La Mancha is a 1965 musical that was made also into a movie. The movie is not as good as the musical, if you see it on stage. It was a, a musical that tells a story <clears throat> inspired by Don Quixote. Don Quixote de la Mancha. Don Quixote de la Mancha is a character that was dreamed up by a 17th century uh, Spaniard novelist. And as a matter of fact, Don Quixote is considered to be the first full novel in the Western Hemisphere. And Don Quixote, Cervantes wrote this. And what is it about? Well, it's about an old man who finds himself very sick. And when he is sick, since he can't go outside or do it, the normal things that he does, he spends his time reading of tales of knights in shining armor. By the 17th century, knights in shining armor were a thing of the past. They weren't anymore. But there was a significant amount of literature about these knights. And Don and Miguel de Cervantes began to read stories about how these knights would fight for the honor of their ladies. And their ladies, they would, they would take the, a lady and they would fight for her honor. And of course, if you, if you ever want to, the, the book is extremely hard to read because it's, it's in Spanish, but it's translated. But Don Quixote, just to give you the, the, the lay of the play, but the lay of this novel and of the play, Don Quixote is the name that this old man in the novel is, his name is Quixote. And so what he, all of a sudden, because he's laid up and he can't do anything else but read these stories, he begins to think that he is a knight, that he has to fulfill his mission as a knight. And he kind of goes crazy thinking of himself as a knight in shining armor. And of course, there's an old, there's a, a, a very overweight helper that he has around the house. And this, the, the overall helper's name is Sancho Panza. And Sancho Panza has been taking care of Mr. Quixote on, in bed. Well, finally, when he is able to get up, he knows that he is a knight and he calls himself Don Quixote de la Mancha. Okay? And his uh, helper around the house, Sancho Panza, uh, thinks he's crazy, but he doesn't know how to stop him. 
And so he decides to tag along with him, and they get, Don Quixote has an old horse in the stable, barely can walk, the old horse. And he mounts the horse, and he makes himself an armor out of tin and stuff that he can find around. And uh, he makes himself a, a, a chamber pot, a urinal, for his helmet. And, uh, and Sancho doesn't know how to stop him. And he, he, Sancho can't find another horse, so he uh, gets a mule. And he follows along with Don Quixote, and Don Quixote sets out to find the lady that he is going to fight for. And of course, the first thing that he encounters is a monster. And the monster is a windmill. But actually, he thinks it's a monster. And he attacks the monster windmill. The story, the movie, or the play is tremendously entertaining. To make a long story short, he goes to a bar, and he finds a barmaid who is also a prostitute in the bar. And he believes her to be his lady. And his lady is, uh, is, is called Eldanza, which is a name of the dancer. And he begins to call her Dulcinea. Dulcinea, my sweet. And she goes crazy, say, I'm a prostitute. What are you talking about? I'm a prostitute. And he goes, no, you're not. You're my lady. And he, the movie is tremendously entertaining. And at the very end, well, you have to see the movie anyway. So this musical, I don't want to go in to spend the whole homily for the, the musical. But the musical has a passage in it. Now, the musical, when you first open up the musical and start watching it, it's actually a play within a play. The opening scene of the musical, Man, which is called Man of La Mancha, you are introduced into a dungeon. And in the dungeon is Miguel Cervantes, the writer of Don Quixote. And he is in jail with a bunch of other men. And he begins to tell them about his hero, Don Quixote. And they begin to make fun of him. They say, oh, so you make a hero out of this old man who doesn't know anything, who doesn't live in the real world. You make a hero out of this guy who's out of his mind, who lives in a fantasy. You, gotta, you should have written something about men who are in real life. Real life. Not some crazy man who's out there you know, defeating windmills and thinking they're dragons and defending prostitutes, believing that they're his lady. That's not real. You need to write about real life. Now, I'm about to read you how Don Quixote, or how Miguel de Cervantes, answers his prisoners, fellow prisoners. They're waiting for the, to be brought before the Inquisition. And they're all in the dungeon. And they've accused him of making a hero out of a madman. 
And here is Miguel de Cervantes, how he answers their criticism. Listen closely. Miguel de Cervantes began to speak. I have been a soldier and I have been a slave. I've seen my comrades die and fall in battle slowly, tortured under the lash in Africa. I've held them in my arms at their final moments. These were men who saw life as it really was. Yet, they died despairing. No glory, no brave last words, only their eyes filled with confusion, questioning why, why? I don't think they were asking why or wondering why they were dying. Actually, they were wondering why they had ever lived. When life itself seems lunatic, who knows where madness lies? To surrender dreams, this may be madness. To seek treasure where there is only trash, there may be madness. Too much sanity may be madness. But maddest of all is to see life as it is and not as it should be. Listen to that last line. Maddest of all is to see life as it is and not as it should be. Now, why is that the maddest of all? Second piece of literature before I go to the Blessed Mother. The second piece of literature is another novel written by a 20th century theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis. You may have heard of him because he did the Chronicles of Narnia. Those are based on his, uh, his writings. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, a tiny little book, which has a tremendously interesting premise. And the interesting premise of the book's title is called The Screwtape Letters. Now, The Screwtape Letters is actually about a demon whose name is Screwtape. And he is a fairly high-ranking demon in hell. He's not totally Lucifer, but he is a high-ranking demon. And Screwtape has a nephew demon. And the nephew demon's name is Wormwood. And of course, the book is all the different letters in which Screwtape is writing to his nephew, Wormwood, 
on how to tempt human beings. And it's very interesting. It's interesting because when you read the book, sometimes I get confused because when screw tape, the demon, is talking about the enemy, he's talking about God. God is the enemy. You're seeing sin from the point of view of Satan, from the point of view of the devil. Anyway, he's trying to train his nephew on how to tempt and how to make sure that human beings go to hell. And one of the most interesting parts is Screwtape telling his nephew how to have the people he is in charge of getting to hell to focus on real life. Now it's interesting because he wants them to focus on real life. Here's the scenario he paints. A man who's a man of the world goes to the library and he begins seeing the, the, the history of humanity and he begins to see all the kings and all the conquerors of the past. And then as he's sitting there reading stuff, he begins to think, the thought comes into his mind. And the thought that comes into his mind is, so all of these important people, all the things that they thought were so important and they're all dead and their only achievements are here in this dusty old library and nothing remains of them. Is this all that life is supposed to be about? And he begins to think about his own death and he begins to think about the meaning of his life. And that's when Screwtape says to Wormwood, there is where you have to catch him. Because the moment that he begins to think about the implications, he is not thinking anymore about real life. He is now thinking about the implications for eternity. And that might lead him to question what really is valuable. And you don't want him to question what really is valuable. You want him to stay busy about real life. And so he says, you know what you do? Wormwood, here's what you do. As he is reading and beginning to think about that, you make him feel hungry. And so what do you do? A temptation, not any horrible temptation, but you bring into his mind a sandwich. A really good sandwich. And all of a sudden, his mind is on the afterlife and the quality of his life, but you immediately draw him away from that with, don't you want a sandwich right now? Don't you want it? And so the man closes the book and he focuses in what's going on inside of him. Instead of focusing on issues about God and salvation, no, no, he's focused on real life. He's still focused on his stomach. And he remembers there's a beautiful deli 
across the street. And as he walks outside thinking about going to the deli, he sees a newspaper, the headlines of the newspaper, and he sees a billboard, and all of a sudden, he's back in real life. And that's when Screwtape says, you got him. You got him. Because you see, the whole point is to keep you stuck in real life on life as it is and not as it should be. That's the point. Now, why am I talking about all of this? Why? Because I want to put the Blessed Mother before your, hand, before your eyes. I want you to notice what the Gospel said. I need to pull out my trusty iPhone, which is where my readings of my of the Bible are for the Sunday. And I want you to notice what the gospel says. The gospel for today says this. Okay, January, January 1st. Okay. Notice what the gospel says. When, um, all of the shepherds have just come to Mary and they're saying they saw the glory of God and the angels and all of that, they've shown it. All who heard the story of the shepherds were amazed by what had been told to them by the angels. Now listen to the next sentence closely. And Mary kept all of these things reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds left and Mary kept all of these things and treasured them in her heart. Now why is that so important? You know, sometimes we wonder, and I don't know if you've ever wondered, when Luke who tells us about the shepherds and who tells us about the angels and tells us about the Jesus being born in a manger. Have you ever thought about where did he get it? Where did he, how did Jesus get, how did Luke get that story? He wasn't there. Well, remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he entrusted his mother to John. And he said, John, there is your mother, mother is your son. John it is known from research that after Jesus died a year or two later, John moved from Jerusalem to Ephesus. Luke was the partner of St. Paul. And we know that St. Paul spent three years with Luke in Ephesus. How did Luke get to know all these details? Because he visited with Mary and John on a regular basis, probably for three years. And Mary, who had treasured all of these things, reflecting on them in her heart, began to share them with Luke, who put them in his gospel. Now, what does this have to say have to do with what I told you. 
about the literature. I want you to notice the Gospels and how Mary acted. What does it mean to treasure something in your heart? Mary's hearing these angels. She's hearing the angel who did the Annunciation. She heard about the dream of Joseph when he was about to divorce her. Mary heard all these things that were happening. And each one of those, she kept treasuring them in their heart. How did what happen at when Jesus was lost in the temple? Remember when he was 12 years old? Jesus, you can bet Mary treasured that in her heart. And she reflected on it. What did she do? She ultimately came to understand the meaning of these things the way God intended them to be. Why did she do that? Because she wasn't thinking about sandwiches. She wasn't thinking. Now, please understand, I love a good sandwich like anybody else loves a good sandwich. But if reality the reality or the internet or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your anger at your husband or your wife or your job or, or anything like that or the, the car you want to buy and all, that, all of that which is reality impinges on you treasuring things in your heart and seeing what they mean not for the daily life here but for the meaning of your life. Let me give you an example, and then I'll shut up. Here's the example. I want you to imagine that you are told that you must cross a lake, a long, long lake, and you're given a, a, a boat with an outboard motor, and you're given a map of the lake. You have never seen this lake before, but you're told that you have to get to the end and rescue somebody at the other end of the lake, and you're given a map of the lake, a boat with a very powerful outboard motor, and you're told, get to the other side of the lake as quickly as you can. So what do you do? Now let's say there's gentleman number one, or gentlewoman number one. That woman, that man, gets into the boat and sees the other side of the lake, and he starts the engine, and he doesn't look at the map, and he opens it up, and he goes all the way to the end of the lake. What's going to happen? Well, he doesn't know where there's stumps. He doesn't know where there's anything. He doesn't check the map. He just, boom, he just lives with his eyes on the reality. But what's the map for? What's the point of a map? A map is a collection of wisdom that has been gained and accumulated by a group of people who have probably crashed before, and they've updated and updated the map. What should he have done? Well, here's what you do. You get into the boat, and then you start the engine, and you open it up a little bit. You don't open it up full bore. 
You start slowly, and then what do you do? I want you to notice the process. You look at reality in front of you, and you compare reality in front of you with what's on the map. And then you compare reality and the map. And you go around the stumps, and you make the turns, and you go here and there, but you're constantly shifting between reality in front of you, your direction, and the map. And then, based on that, you adjust the speed of the motor. Correct? That's what the normal people do. That's what you're supposed to do in life. That's what Mary was doing. In life, the engine represents your energy, represents the energy that you have to drive you forward. The other side of the lake is reality. But if you only focus on reality and you never consult the map, which happens to be the scriptures and the church, you're sooner or later going to run aground. Why? Because you're too dad-burned arrogant to look at the map. And instead, you spend your time focused on the really real, what's in front of me. That's not what you're supposed to do. Christianity, folks, is about this. Christianity is not about going to church. It's not about not doing bad stuff. I'm always getting amazed when people come to confession and say, Oh, Father, I don't have anything to, to say. I'm a good person. All right, all right. Do you remember where it says, I am sorry for what I have done and what I have failed to do? Most people forget about the sins of omission. Here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to keep your eyes on reality. But then you do what Mary does. You look at the, at the sacred, because Mary knew the scriptures of the Old Testament. You look at the sacred, and you say, hmm, how does this in the Bible or in the church's teaching match up with what's reality? And then you look at the church's teaching or at the scriptures, and you look at reality. And then between the dialogue between reality and the church's teaching and the scriptures, you adjust your engine and you adjust the wheel of your life. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why if you never study, if you never take time to ponder, to do what the Blessed Mother said, to treasure things in your heart, you're dead meat. You're dead meat. Why? Because you have religion just being go to church and not do any bad stuff. That's not Christianity. So folks, on this, the day of Mary, the mother of God, don't be so stuck on the really real. Because the question is, is the really real of this life really reality? The day you die, are you going to be asking for your Gucci purse? Are you going to be asking for the keys to your Lexus? Or are you going to be wondering about the plan, about the huge house you're about to build? No, you're not. You're going to look at your life and you say, why the hell did I live? What's the point of what? what? How is the world different because I was here? 
And on that day, you're going to notice what really is real. And all those things that you thought were pie in the sky turn out to be the really real. Perhaps too much reality is trash. Perhaps to focus on to look for treasure where there is only trash. Perhaps that's madness. And maddest of all, maddest of all, is to see life as it is and not as it should be.